Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. We've been going through the book of Peter. Both we're going to hopefully get to 2 Peter today. And I'm so thankful for God's word giving us life, showing us how to live, helping us make adjustments, revealing truth. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to read the Word and to do it together. And then throughout the year, we don't always just go through uh, each book of the Bible line by line, but we're going to we'll do topical things and all kind of different things as well. But uh, for now, First and Second Peter is where we're aiming. We'll put these scriptures up on the screen, but if you have your Bible, you can turn there too. Um, going to Continue in 1 Peter, the last chapter, chapter 5 today, and this is written to, again, the persecuted believers, those believers who have fled, most likely gone to other countries, up into Turkey, where believers are still fleeing and going into Turkey, actually, uh, today from other, other nations, and he's writing this letter to encourage them in the midst of their persecution, of their suffering, what they're going through to help them live fully alive, to have the right mindset. And we can apply these mindsets to us as well. This isn't just for them. This is for us also. In whatever stage of life we find ourselves in, uh, and whatever the enemy sends against us, he's going to talk about some of that today. There's some tools in here, some real keys, particularly what we're about to read, to help us stay free and to think right as we, as we move forward. So Lord, we ask for your help. We thank you for your beautiful, powerful, wonderful word. It is alive, and Lord, I just, uh, we just want to see this as if the ink is still wet. This is still you speaking to us today, helping us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, those who have gone before us, Peter and others, who have lived such an amazing life and followed you and given us these keys and help for us to be victorious in the age that we are living in. Lord, we want to carry the baton well that they've passed along to us as we await you and your return. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, verse chapter, excuse me, chapter five, verse one. Let's just start there. Therefore, I urge elders among you, which are the elders he's speaking of, would be bishops, pastors, teachers, leaders, rulers, as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So in particular, he's addressing the leaders of these churches and believers um, that have fled up here into Turkey. Witness of the sufferings of Christ and one who also is a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Not just a fellow partner with you in suffering, but we're together in this in God's glory, a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Verse two, shepherd, which really means to guide, care for, protect, tend the flock. So the word, you know, pastor, by the way, is mentioned one time in the Bible. Do you realize that? It's Ephesians 4. Think of how often we use it in our, you know, Christian terms today. Nearly every leader of every church would be called a pastor. And I don't think it's, it's a bad thing at all because it really means shepherd. So those who shepherd, who take care of, that's who Peter is speaking to here. The flock of God among you, shepherd them, take care of them. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Do this with a willing heart. So he's speaking to the heart. 
according to the will of God, and not with greed, but with eagerness, nor yet as domineering over those assigned to your care, but by proving to be examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, unfortunately, in our world, we have not only good examples of pastors, but we have some bad ones. And uh, that doesn't mean that, that if there's a bad pastor that we throw that whole office away or a gift away or a calling away. Um, certainly, you know, and I, I'll say this at every new member's class, that I don't expect anyone here to trust me fully right off the bat. Uh, because you need to see my lifestyle, right? And for any pastor, we need to watch and see how are they living. Are they an example, a good example to the people that are following them? I don't think we're supposed to just trust implicitly. We're supposed to love and forgive everybody. Trust is a different animal. And so we have some bad examples in the body of Christ. We have some amazing examples in the body of Christ. And it's it's just important that we always see that this is a God-established thing, the way that he sets this up to lead his body, but there be shepherds, pastors to guide and and watch over. Verse five, um, and just before we read that, the previous chapters that we read last week and the week before, he's speaking specifically to servants and then to wives and then to husbands. And then here, he speaks to leaders. And now he says, verse five, you younger men. So he's gonna talk to the younger men for a moment. Likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. That's a beautiful thing. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God is opposed to the proud. Man, shouldn't say much more on that one right there, right? If you want to have God in opposition to you, be proud. I have no desire for God to be opposed to me. So we want to stay in a state, not just for younger men, I think for every person, of humility towards one another, of having not all the answers, but having a a spirit of humility. We can have confidence in God and be humble at the same time. And it's a that's the way of a believer, it's the way of you and I. Clothe yourself with humility. You know, if you clothe yourself, you put that on. You do that yourself. And so we, we get to choose to be humble or not. Because God is opposed to the pride, but gives grace to the humble. Not only is God not opposed to the humble, but he's going to help us with his grace. So we want that for not just younger men, but for every person. I remember when my late teens, early 20s, I pursued God But I also, as I was pursuing his word, felt like I received revelation that other people didn't have, particularly my pastor. So I went about to uh, help him. (laughs) And um, that didn't go very well for me, by the way. But there was this, there was a, a, a knowledge that produced an arrogance in me. And that's what actually happens a lot of times. His knowledge puffs up, right? So with knowledge, we're supposed to gain knowledge, but we're also supposed to put on humility at the same time. So we're growing in knowledge and putting on humility. That's, that's very important. Otherwise, we get puffed up, we correct the wrong people, and we make mistakes and we aren't learning from those who are. And usually don't, 
um, submit or subject yourself to others either in that. So I've been through that. I had to get put in my place in a good way. It was painful. I, went, I couldn't call it a good way then, but now I can. It was painful, but it was really necessary for me. I can see the, the error of my ways. Verse 6, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. It's interesting. Um, putting on humility allows God to give great grace and to lift you up. God's the promoter, not people. Isn't that interesting how this works? Verse 7, having cast all, not some, all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's a powerful statement, one of the most powerful in the Bible, to be honest. To cast, that word really means to throw. To throw, or if you're casting as a fisherman, Peter was a fisherman, maybe he was thinking that in those terms, but it means to throw. And actually, they didn't have fishing poles, then they had big nets. They slung out there to throw every anxiety on God, every single concern on God, every care, every worry, throw it on God. Get rid of it, in other words. Give those things to God because he cares for you. God cares so much for us that we can throw upon him all of our cares. This is the beautiful thing that's the opposite of religion. In this relationship we have, an access we have with God, he invites us to personally exchange with him. In fact, the life of a believer is becoming a consummate exchanger, learning how to exchange with him, not caring all these things, hoping he helps us. He's saying, he invites us, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, right? And I will give you rest. What do you do when you're weary and you're heavy laden? You give the heavy things to him, you throw them off, give them to him, and he gives you his rest. We get to be exchangers for a whole life. And the successful believer is good at exchanging with God every day. Whatever is heavy, whatever feels like worry, whatever is anxious, I get to come to Jesus and trade. He wants to trade what he has for what we have. It's the best deal on the planet. We get to trade with Jesus every day. And this is what Paul, or excuse me, Peter here, Paul talked about it too, but Peter's talking about here, exchanging with the Lord, casting, throwing all of our cares, all of our worries on him. Verse eight, be of sober spirit. Don't get intoxicated with worries and cares. Have a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Pay attention your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He isn't one, but like one, seeking someone to devour. Now, it's interesting that these two verses are typically com used completely separately. You'll hear one verse quoted, right? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Or you separately hear... Cast, throw all of your anxieties on God because God cares for you. These are together. There's a key here for our victory in this right here, and it's this. If we will throw, 
and cast our anxieties, every worry, every care on God because he cares for me. The devil's prowling around. He has nothing to feed on if I've thrown it away. But if you, if you withhold anxiety, cares, worries, this is what the devil feeds on. This is what he messes with you, with worries, cares, anxieties. But we're invited to throw them off. You have the power to throw them upon Jesus, to cast them upon Jesus. We have a society full of anxiety, a society full of worry, full of panic and fear, crippling fears, crippling anxieties, paralyzing anxieties. The life of you and the life of me are not meant for that. We get to put them on Jesus. And it takes effort to get rid of them. It takes intentionality. It takes a choice. I'm going to give that to God. There's only so much I can do, but he can do more than I can do. What I can't do, I have my part to play, then he has his part. So I'm going to give him my worries. I'm going to give him my fears because he cares for me. Then I can live free. Worries and fears, anxieties are crippling. Verse 9, so resist him, the enemy, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. Whatever you go through is not just you that's going through this. This is another lie that the enemy often does is I'm the only one going through it. Everybody else is okay. Everybody else is just having a great time, and it's only me going through this. Remember, Elijah had that. It's kind of called the Elijah syndrome. I'm the only one left, he said. I'm the only one left. God said, no, Elijah, there's 7,000 more I set aside just like you. If you're going through something, you're not the only one. But God cares for you, and he invites you to learn how to exchange with him. Give him your stuff so he can give you his rest, peace, joy, hope, life. It's a wonderful way to live. A large part of our fight in resisting and spiritual warfare is casting our cares on God. You ever thought about spiritual warfare being that way? It really is. It's casting our cares on God is a a fight. You're, You're defeating the enemy by doing that. I was thinking of in ancient times, and we can read this in the book of Acts, probably more than once, even in the, in the Bible, where the ships going from one place to another in the ocean or in the Mediterranean, if a storm came up, started crashing against that ship to try and sink it, what would they do? They would throw everything heavy on board, overboard. They'd get rid of everything that's heavy so that they can survive and make it through this storm and not sink. And it's very similar. When the storm comes against us, let me throw away the heavy things onto Jesus. He'll keep me afloat. He'll keep us going. Verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He knows how much we can take. And through the process, God is amazing in this way too, in every way. 
but this stands out to me here in this, is that God doesn't waste a thing that we go through. He will use the things the enemy even comes against us with to help us get perfected, confirmed, strengthened, and established. It's kind of like working out at the gym. You go through hard things, you break down those muscles and they get stronger. You go through persecution or suffering or difficulties and you keep throwing your anxieties on God and looking to him and all of a sudden you're stronger than you used to be before you went through this thing, right? There's this beautiful thing that God works in us as we go through hard things. Verse 12, through Silvanus, which is probably Silas, it's often in the scriptures, a lot of characters have two different names like Simon, Peter, right? Silvanus, probably Silas. Our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She, probably the church, who is in Babylon, which is probably Rome, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to all who are in Christ. Before we jump into this next chapter, let's just practice this real quick because this is something that we need to do and I need to do nearly every day and that's learning how to cast our cares on him. Let's just close our eyes for a second, if you don't mind, because everything that God gives to us and shows us how to do things has a practical application to it, not just for knowledge's sake. And so if there is something that is riding on you right now that is, has worry attached to it, has anxiety attached to it, that has fear attached to it. It's a, it's a weighty thing that's heavy on your soul. It's, it's weighing down your soul. Can you identify what that is right now? Just identify it. This is what that is. This is what that thought is. And then let's throw it on Jesus. Just intentionally imagine yourself taking that thing, that very thing, and giving it to Jesus and letting go. Giving it to him. Give that to Jesus all the way. That relationship that seems like it's gone awry, that financial situation that is overwhelming, whatever that is, give it to Jesus. Imagine him right there in front of you. He's got his hands out. You put that thing in his hands. He causes it to vanish, takes care of it. And then let's receive from him. Still our eyes closed, let's just receive from him. And what do we get to receive? He said, my rest for your soul, a restoration of your soul. So we receive, take a big deep breath if you want to. Just receive from Jesus all that he has for you right now. Rest for your soul. Beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, hope instead of desperation. New mindsets instead of discouragement. We receive from you even now, Jesus. Thank you that you're here handing out your gifts of rest to every person. And thank you for taking all of our weighted anxiety, worries, and fears. 
about anything in the future or anything we're carrying. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we can do that every day. Every day. Sometimes I take bathroom breaks. In the middle of the day, you go in that place where no one else is. You can take a minute, get refilled with the Spirit, breathe in the Holy Spirit afresh and anew, drink of Him, the Bible says. You can also make that exchange. Okay, Lord, here's this, here's this heaviness. That's a very practical and it's a very real way to live. Okay, let's go into chapter 2, or excuse me, Second Peter. This letter is addressed to the same believers. Who knows how long after the first letter was written that he wrote this one? No one knows. But it seems to be in a pretty short time frame, I'm guessing within a year or two, he sent this letter off to the same group of people up in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. This one is not as focused on dealing with suffering, but how to really live and grow in Jesus, encouraging them to do that, to stay focused on him. He's also addressing false teaching and false teachers, so there'll be some of that in here, and to keep Jesus as the center of our thinking and our living. So let's just read verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, it reintroduces himself again, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have the same faith. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power, his divine power, which Chuck and Kelly were talking about it at communion time. Jesus' blood, his name, his person, his victory, his divine power has granted to us everything, I like that word, pertaining to life and godliness. What Jesus did, he's made available everything pertaining to life and godliness. That's a lot of things. That is available to all of us. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, that is a powerful and large, vast amount of resource that Jesus has made available through his divine power. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, through these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. The promises, we go on and on. Freedom from sin, relationship with the Father, right? A hope and a future, his spirit living inside of us never being alone ever again. Many, many magnificent and beautiful promises. So that by them, these promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. We get to become partakers of the divine nature. What nature? The nature of Jesus gets to be imparted to us. We get to partake of his nature. See, that's what being a new creation is. That's what he's talking about here. When you and I received Jesus into our hearts, we repented of our sin, received him inside of us, he brought with him his spirit. And his spirit, says in 2 Corinthians, causes us to become new creatures, brand new creations. 
The old's passed away, brand new things have come. The old mat is now dead. The new mat is alive in Jesus, and his nature is now given to me. Ezekiel prophesied one day people are going to have not hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh, brand new hearts, hearts that want to please God. That's the nature that you and I have, is this brand new Jesus-type nature. His divine power has done this. Now we get his nature on the inside of us. So we're to live as though he lives on the inside of us. Completely different than we used to live. Thinking completely differently. Having a hope like we didn't have. But also conducting ourselves in the way that Jesus would conduct himself. That's part of your calling. That's part of my calling. To live like he lived. First John says, as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are you in this world. Another thing he said in John, he said, I'm the light of the world. But then he said, you are now the light of the world. Once I leave, you're now the light of the world because we have him inside of us. Pretty amazing. We need to be reminded of these things over and over and over because it's not just you and your name and what's going on inside your heart and mind, but you have died and Jesus now lives inside of you. So we have this divine nature he's given to us. doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. That means that we have the opportunity to apply all that he has done and to live ways that he has lived and is living, progressively growing, changing, becoming more and more like him every day, every week, every year. You and I get to do this. To those who have uh, everything according, pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Verse four, through these he has granted to us his precious magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. The corruption that's in the world on account that comes from lust. 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 16 speaks of what this lust is. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. The world is full of lust, which is what I want, my body wants, my nature wants. Lust for having things, whether it's another person or it's a thing or it's money or it's power, whatever that is, that lust, that is part of the world system. And the world system caters to that. Their music caters to it. The movies cater to it. It's lust to have things and talking about that. But the nature of Jesus is the exact opposite. He came to give, not to have his flesh catered to. And so the nature of those who follow him gets changed from lust for having things to desire to give things and to be loving to other people. The nature of Jesus, which is our new nature we get. So then it says, now for this very reason, because we have a new nature, apply all diligence. Again, this is so important. Religion is based on knowledge. Relationship is so different. We're called to relationship with God, not just based on information that we have but that we would apply the knowledge that we receive in who Jesus is and we start living that way. 
Let's apply it. You know, when the uh, Israelites were getting out of Egypt, remember what the Lord said for them to do, the last plague. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get these uh, perfect lamb, slit its throat, take the blood of these perfect lambs in a bucket, and then go and do something with it. It's not just enough to have it. You have to, what? Apply it. Apply it to the doorpost, the side, the top, and then you will be protected. But you could have that blood carried around. That doesn't do much for you. You've got to put that blood into action. Apply it to your life. And it's the same here with this divine nature God has given to us. We have to apply the things that he's given, not just expect that everything will be different. We have our part to play. Let's apply it. And it takes faith to do this. So apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, which speaks of integrity and moral valor, character. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control, which is one of the help portions of the Holy Spirit as well. He helps us with self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. Don't give up. Other translations speak of endurance. Perseverance. Persevere through things. Don't give up on things. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. That's that unselfish seeking for the benefit of others. You want others to do well. That is, that's the thing we're known by, we're supposed to be known by. Our love for one another. We care about what others are going through. We want others to do well. We are seeking the best for others. The words we use aren't putting down others, but they're blessing, encouraging, and building up others. That is the life of a believer because it's the life of Jesus, and it's his nature that gets put inside of us. But we need to be reminded of these things. For if these qualities, verse 8, are yours and are increasing, they do not make you useless, Isn't that great to know? Nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, for the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And that is also one of the, I would say, false doctrines or deceptions in the world that's oftentimes in the church is that once you have received Jesus, your sins are forgiven, then you can just live any way you want to because that forgiveness just covers you. So you just live however you... That's not how this works. We are supposed to work out our salvation that God has given to us by behaving in a way, living in a way, having our hearts set in a way that is pure before him, that follows him, but then our behavior changes. We are not morally corrupt anymore. We're not looking for our lust to be satisfied. But there's this nature change on the inside. We don't want to be short-sighted or blind to forget our freedom from our former sins. Verse 10, therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you. Have a confidence in God calling you. Another word for calling is invitation. He's invited you. And you are certain of that. 
For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. If you practice them, you won't stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Verse 12, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Consider, excuse me, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. Somehow the Lord had shown him that he was not going to live much longer. His time was short. As also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that at, my, at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Verse 16, for we do not know cleverly, excuse me, we don't, do not follow cleverly devised tables, tales, not tables, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he, re, we re, excuse me, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such a declaration as this was made to him by the, the majestic glory. And it was this, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He heard that twice at Jesus's baptism and then on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is what he's referring to. And we ourselves heard this declaration made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word, which I believe he's speaking of the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus, made more sure because he heard and saw Jesus speak personally, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Jesus is referred to as the morning star in Revelation. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So we get a lot out of this, but in particular about this divine nature that God has given to us to live and to apply moral excellence. So many of these things uh, are intentional in our minds of what we're going to do, what we won't do, what we'll allow into our minds, our hearts, our eyes, and what we will not. And the Holy Spirit helps us. The Spirit of truth is there to comfort and to help us live in a way that reflects the nature of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these powerful, beautiful words, as well as the truth behind them that speaks of you dying for us, giving your life for us, and then imparting your life into us, helping us to not just be a better person or a good person, but one infused with the spirit of God and the nature of Jesus to live like you live. Lord, we just even retrain our minds to align our brains and our spirit with these words. Truth that sets free. And you said, Lord, if we would abide in your word, we would know the truth and your truth would set us free. Lord, I pray for all of us and we ask, we even just even present ourselves, as Hebrews 12 says, even a living sacrifice to you all over again. We give ourselves to you, Lord. 
We ask that you would help us, that you would lead us, that you would empower us, Holy Spirit, to live this way that you want us to live. Thank you for this divine nature you've imparted to us. We receive it fully. And we thank you for your goodness, your closeness, your nearness with us. You don't leave us alone. Thank you for being with us right now. Thank you for your power over the enemy. Thank you, Lord, that even as we cast our cares upon you, that you defeat the enemy and you help us in every way that we need help. Thank you that there's nothing left out of the life that you've given to us, where you've given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Thank you, Lord, we receive this everything that you've done. Work it in and out of our bodies, our minds, our spirit, our soul, that we would be those that are arm in arm with you, doing your will, following you, living to the potential that you've called us to live. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.